Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Welcome, welcome. Glad that you're here. We've got everybody still making their way in, dropping kids off. We want to go ahead and get started this morning. If you're a guest with us, welcome to you. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's great to have you worshiping the Lord with us. As we begin our time together, I want to read some scripture. Psalm, uh, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. If you're um, this is probably a, a, a verse that's familiar to you here in our Christmas season. Isaiah 9:6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is a prophecy about Jesus written centuries before he was ever born on this earth talking about who jesus is going to be who he is yeah we think about him as a a baby in a manger here at christmas but the idea is that jesus is god god in flesh came to earth to save humanity from their sins and so this gets to be who we see jesus as and worship him as today so i want to encourage you to bow your heads for me i want to spend some time together praying as we begin our time Thinking about this, who Jesus is, what the Bible says is true of him. The government shall be upon his shoulders. In other words, he has full authority. Everything on earth, no matter how powerful or strong someone appears to be, they rest on him. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Do you need someone to be, your, to be your counselor, to be your guide, to tell you this is the path to take. Not giving good advice, not life coaching, but telling this is the path. You need to go this way. This is who Jesus is, our wonderful counselor. Mighty God. He is powerful and sovereign and in control of all. Everlasting Father. He never ends. He never stops. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. The Prince of Peace. Jesus can be the only one to give you peace because it's his peace. He's the prince of it. He owns it. He is the one who gives out true peace. All of these things come from Christ. And so as we worship during this Christmas season, we remember who Jesus is. Again, not a baby in a manger, 
God in flesh who has come to this earth to rule and reign, to be a sacrifice for you and I to take away our sin so that we can be made new. So Lord, I pray for us here this morning. I ask you, God, that we would, by your grace, today see you Jesus for who you are that you are in control of all things that you are the one who guides our steps and leads us that you are sovereign ruler of all creation that you are our good and everlasting never changing eternal father you care for us and protect us you are the prince of peace we get true peace just from you nothing else no circumstance or situation just you do this in us Jesus let us see you for who you are we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's stand together, guys, as we worship our great Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. Let's sing and celebrate. I was buried in my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my turn till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures, all my failures, I tried. It was my turn till I met you. You called my name.
continue to celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's worship.
Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 68. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is Zechariah prophesying. He's speaking of Christ. And the, and the, the crazy thing is he's glorifying the Christ that he hasn't met yet. He is praising him. He is thanking God for him. And so how much more so should we, church, who for those that have met the risen God in our hearts, who have, who have submitted ourselves to salvation that comes through faith in Christ alone, how much more should we celebrate, should we, should we live lives that honor our God because we have seen his glory. And it's not just about celebrating the birth of him in the past. And it's not just about him coming in the future. All those things are good and true and right, but it's also about celebrating him right now, right here today, as he works in your life and mine, as he sanctifies, as he seeks to be glorified by us, everything that we say, think, and do. So we continue to sing of the God who has rescued us, who has saved us for a purpose. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. And we praise your holy name, Lord. Let's sing.
be seated, church. We don't see points on a map. They aren't just places to us. We see stories of lives living without the hope found in Jesus. Today, somewhere between the Great Commission and the Great Multitude, we find ourselves facing the world's greatest problem, lostness. Even in the midst of natural disasters, humanitarian crises, and political instability, Southern Baptists send IMB missionaries to give their lives to the lost, living amongst those who have never heard the gospel. People in hard-to-reach places, people in cities, and those who are dispersed and displaced around the world. At the IMB, we believe that missionary presence cultivates gospel access. Gospel access that knows no geographic or social boundary. We believe that missionary presence fuels gospel belief, and we see the results. We see lives transformed, generations forever changed, and churches planted. Local expressions of the church that take ownership and thrive. God has made our purpose clear. Together, we seek to take the gospel to every nation, to all tribes, to all peoples, to all languages. We don't see places on a map. We see our place in fulfilling the Great Commission. This is our mission. This is your mission. And we are reaching the nations together. Well, this time of year, we enter into what we call the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. So uh, that is an offering for Southern Baptists. If you didn't know that, we are Southern Baptists. Um, every year, uh, do this together. We join our resources together for international missions, and we take up one big offering uh, called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering here at Christmas. And people will ask sometimes, why are we Southern Baptists? Why are we sticking around with Southern Baptists? Why do we do that? Um, and, and the reason is, uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention, we're talking about um, roughly 50,000 churches making up about 16 million members. And what we get to do is to pull our resources together and accomplish things together we never could by ourselves. The Southern Baptist Convention has more missionaries on the field in the world than every other mission organization on earth combined. We are, without any question, a far and away number one in putting missionaries here in the United States and around the world sharing the gospel. We have an opportunity to see the kingdom of God advanced, darkness pushed back, lostness put a dent in, gospel proclamation take place so that people can come to faith in him. And this is an opportunity for you to take part in that. There are roughly about 2 billion people on earth that have no access to the gospel. We're not talking about people that heard the gospel and rejected or don't feel like going to church. or That's not really my thing. 2 billion people on earth will be born, live, and die never knowing any other Christian, never knowing a Christian to be able to even 
tell them about Jesus. And this offering gives us an opportunity to try to do something about that. So our prayer for you over the next couple of weeks is that you'll be in prayer as to how you can give. You can give in two ways. You can give on the app online, uh, through the app or on their website. You can go to the giving section and just make sure you, in the scroll down, designate Lottie Moon Offering or Christmas Offering uh, so that that goes there. Or you can write a check, put it in an envelope, market Lottie Moon or market Christmas Offering, put it in the giving box, and we'll take care of it there. 100% of that giving leaves here. None of it stays in the house. It all goes to the International Mission Board. Uh, and so we want you to be in prayer over the next few weeks to how you can give so that you can have an active part in seeing the kingdom of God advanced and, and an actual dent be put in lostness around the world. Uh, so what I want to do is take a minute and pray. If we can just bow our heads. I want to pray for this offering that we're going to be taking here in this month of December. Pray that God blesses that. Pray that God stirs in our hearts and multiplies it. And we can see a real harvest take place. And so Lord, I, just, I, I pray first just for us. God, that you would stir in our hearts a desire, a hunger uh, to give. I pray, God, that we would, God, by your grace, just see the need. And this is an opportunity for us to take part in that. I pray, God, that you would empower us, God, to be sacrificial and generous in our giving. And that we would give above and beyond so that we can see the gospel advance. And I pray you'll take this offering, multiply it, and use it for your glory to see people Come to faith in you around the world. We pray, God, for a great harvest. We thank you that we know that's going to happen. According to the book of Revelation, there will be those from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation worshiping you in, uh, in heaven. And so we know this is going to happen. We thank you for that. And this is a chance for us to just be a part of it. Thank you, Jesus. Stir this in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, if you've got a Bible, let's find Titus chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. Now, um, Quick thing. So originally my plan was to take two weeks, this week and next week, to finish out Titus. Um, I'm changing that. We're actually going to finish up Titus today. The reason we're doing that is I want to go off calendar next week and hit um, a uh, pertinent issue that has hit us here in our country. Uh, if you follow this sort of thing... Uh, this past week, uh, the Senate passed what is called the Respect for Marriage Act, which might be the most wrongly named piece of legislation in the history of the world. Um, it is not respectful of marriage. It actually spits in the face of marriage and what God calls marriage. And so what this legislation does is, one, uh, in, in, to, to some extent, um, uh, gay marriage is in essence what this legislation is about. Um, gay marriage was made the law of the land by what's known as the Obergefell decision of the Supreme Court several years ago. So that's kind of a done deal. But what this does do is it codifies that a little bit in law. And more significantly, it absolutely, it is the most destructive piece of legislation for religious liberty in the history of our country. And both of our North Carolina Republican senators voted for it. Remember their names when they come back up. One is retiring, so we'll remember the other guy. Um, and, and here's the reason why I want to address this next week. Um, it, what this does, it sets up this opportunity where as followers of Christ, we either are going to need to stand or get bowled over. 
And so I want to take some time next week to solidify what the scriptures teach on gender, sexuality, um, marriage. I want to take some time next week to kind of just big 30,000 foot view of it to kind of get us some, some grounding. Because I'm telling you, it, if you, if you decorate for weddings, if you bake cakes, if you do photography, if your child goes to a Christian school, this legislation that your senators voted for just puts you in the crosshairs. There will be lawsuits. There will be a lot of them. Not even for the purpose of winning, but just to bankrupt you. That is the thing that's going to happen. So, what we have to do is get settled, okay, what do we really believe, and are we willing to stand on it? Right? What does the Bible really say, and are we settled on, yes, this is where we're going to stand. Right? This is where we'll take our stand, no matter what comes our way. So that's going to be next week. Um, it's going to be significant. I think it's going to be important. I encourage you to come. Um, now, having said that, let me say this. I know in our congregation we have people that frequently attend our congregation that struggle and wrestle with homosexuality. I know we have people in our congregation who have family members that you love deeply who struggle with homosexuality. I want to encourage you next week. What we seek to do here, the Bible in John chapter 1 says that we're going to be full of grace and full of truth. I hope that you've seen that we seek to do that. We strive to do that. I strive to do that. So the hope next week is hopefully to, yes, speak truth, but do it in a way that's very gracious and very kind, pointing people to Jesus. The goal isn't if you do this, you're good. If you do that, you're bad. The point is we're all bad. No one wears the black hat. Or no one wears the white hat. We all wear the black hats and and. And Jesus is our answer for everything, right? So, so the hope next week is going to be to point us all to Jesus, but to have a clear understanding of what the Bible teaches specifically on this subject. So that's going to be next week. So I encourage you to come be a part of that. Uh, come with your questions. Uh, and um, I'll, I'm so excited to give you Pastor Scott's email to give you all, all your answers. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So... Titus chapter 3 for today, though. All right, Titus chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse 8 together, all right? We're going to finish out the chapter, uh, the book. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But... Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So if you've been with us, the point of Titus is that gospel thinking leads to gospel living. You, you are, as a follower of Christ, called to live a certain way. That's a fact. We see that in the Bible. We see that in Titus. You are called by God to live out good works. Do certain things. Do these things. 
don't do those things. That is clear. That is obvious. The Bible tells us that. Yes. But what Titus also does is go a step deeper than that and say, not just these are the things you have to do or not do. Titus tells us, here's how you're able to actually accomplish that. And the answer is, you understand, you grow deeper in your knowledge and faith and excitement and joy in the fact that you've been made new by Jesus, changed by Jesus, given a different heart by Jesus, different desires by Jesus. You love him with all your heart, and as a result of that, you desire to do good works. Your, your want to is different now, right? You, you've been changed, you've been made new, and the more you dive into that, the more you love that, the more you soak in that, the more you will pursue these good works. You see that really summed up in verse 8. Let's look at that one more time. Verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So the saying, the trustworthy saying that he's talking about there is in verses 4 through 7 that we looked at last week, which is basically just the gospel. Right? This is who Jesus is, this is what he's done for you, this is how he's made you new, and this is why you're able to actually live different. That's that trustworthy saying there. And he says that those who believe that, those who have accepted that, who's, those who have been changed by that, must what devote themselves. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to circle the word devote. That's huge. It's not that just you do good works, but that you devote yourself to them. And, and we would all agree there's a difference between things that you do and things that you devote yourself to, right? I, 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 the thing that I do at my house is taking out the trash, right? That's what I do. I take out the trash. I make sure the trash is out on trash day. But I'm not devoted to it, right? Usually I'm in the bathroom shaving I'm halfway through, I hear the trash truck come through. I'm like, oh no! Right? I'm running out with half my face shaving trying to get the trash can down there before the guys leave. Right? It's the thing that I do when I think about it. Oh yeah, that's right. But I'm not devoted to it. I don't love it. I don't eat, sleep, and breathe it. I don't go to bed at night going, so excited tomorrow's trash day. Right? It's just a thing that I do. And it's saying here, you following Christ, you being obedient to Christ, isn't just that thing you do when you think about it. Because you've been made new in Christ, it's now something that you must, you should devote yourself to, right? Your, your desire, your longing is different. You don't do these things because you have to. You do these things because you've been so changed by Christ, you have to, you want to. Right? My, my wife, we've been married for 20 years. I love her with all of my heart. But I don't think that I have to kiss my wife. Right? I think I have to kiss my wife. Right? It, it, it's different. Right? It's, the wording is the same, but the, the emphasis is different. And this is the way it is with your walk with Christ. It's not that I have to obey and I can't do this anymore. i got to do that now. It's No, it's Jesus has changed me, and I'm so different. I want to do this. I desire to do this. I'm pursuing this, right? Now, having said that, let me say this. That doesn't mean that you and I, now that we're changed in Christ, are now perfect, correct? That doesn't mean we don't sin. That doesn't mean we don't fall into temptation. We very much do. It doesn't mean we always do the good work. We always do the right thing. We very often do not. 
That's why, again, I think, number one, you even have the whole book of Titus. He's writing Titus to remind them, don't forget, this is what we do. You've been changed by Christ, so you've got to live like this now. Even in verse 8, look again, he says, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Think about that word careful. When do you tell someone to be careful? You don't tell them to be careful if there's no concern that things might go sideways. You tell someone to be careful if there's a real distinct possibility this might go bad. Right? Siri, just listen to me. He said, I'm not sure I understand. Well, let me explain it again. Think about it like this. If I go into my uh, living room this afternoon and I see one of my kids sitting on the couch just sitting there watching TV, I don't run up and go, whoa, 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 be careful. They're going to look at me and think, okay. But if I walk into my living room and I see one of my kids standing on the back of the couch attempting to do a backflip off the couch onto the coffee table, I'm going to run up and go, whoa, 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 be careful. Why? You tell someone to be careful, to be thoughtful, to be intentional, to, to be serious about what they're doing. If there's a possibility, it could go south. And that's the way God is talking to you and I about our lives as followers of Christ. Hey, hey, hey be careful now. Just because you're in Christ doesn't mean this stuff magically goes flying out of you. Be careful. Be watchful. Be mindful. It's going to be super easy for you to not do the right thing. So be careful. We see it also even down in verse 14. We read that a few moments ago. Look at verse 14 again. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need that they may not be unfruitful. Look at that. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. You've got to learn this. You have to grow in this. It doesn't magically just happen. Right? You, you have to learn it. Again, think about marriage again. So when I married my wife 20 years ago, and we stood there at the altar and we said our I do's, I loved her with all of my heart, but I had no idea how to be a good husband. Right? The desire was there, the love was there, the want to was there, but I was a dumb kid. Right? Fresh out of college, no clue what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, let's get married. Right? You got no clue. The love is there, the desire is there, the want to is there, but you have to learn how to do it, right? This is how I was talking about you in Christ. Yes, your desires are different, your want to is different, but you got to learn. This is why church is so important. This is where you come and gather with God's people so we can learn how to devote ourselves to good works. But my question for us today is, what happens when... Someone in our congregation isn't living a life lining up with good works. What happens when someone in our congregation says this but doesn't live that? Uh, you saw it back in Titus chapter 1 verse 16. The Apostle Paul said certain people profess to know God but deny Him by their works. Right? They say they know the Lord. They profess this, but their works aren't lining up. So the question is, what do we do about that? And so the big idea that I want you to understand from us is, that is our responsibility. It matters. 
I need you today to get into your brain and soak into your heart the lives of the people around you matters to you. How people in this room do or do not live out the faith of Jesus Christ should matter. It means something. If someone isn't walking in the fullness of who they are in Christ, you don't shrug your shoulders and go, well, it's not my business. It totally is your business. And if you don't like the fact that other people in this room might consider your walk with Christ their business, you need to go be a part of a church that doesn't take membership seriously. Because any church that takes biblical membership seriously will have that mindset. Our lives matter to one another. It means something. How we live or don't live in Christ is significant. I need that. You need that. I need to have my family in a church that believes that. You need to have your family in a church that believes that. How we live our lives, how we walk this out, should legitimately matter. So we're going to see, I want to focus in on verses 9, 10, and 11 here. All right, that's where we're going to kind of focus. And, and so the question is, what do we do in these situations when people profess to know God in our congregation but don't actually live that out? How do we handle that? What do we do with that? So what we're going to see in verses 9, 10, 11 is this. As a church, as a church, Southview Baptist Church, there are certain conversations we should avoid and certain people we should remove. How do we handle this? There are certain conversations we should just avoid. And there are certain people that we should just remove. So what does that look like? How do we do that? What does that mean? Titus chapter 3, verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Let's just chat about verse 9 just for a moment. It says that there are certain conversations, uses the word foolish. In the Greek, it's the same word that you're eventually going to get your English word moron. Right? Moronic conversations. Foolish conversations. About what? He lists a few things. Um, Controversies. There are some arguments you need to not be in. Genealogies, things in the Bible that they take out of context and make bigger than they really are. Dissensions, problems between other people that you don't need to pick a side on. Quarrels about the law. Again, things in the Bible taken out of context. It says they're unprofitable and they're worthless. So, let me just real quick give you some pastoral teaching. Some some pastoral encouragement, shepherding, okay? Listen, guys. The best thing you can do for certain people is ignore them. Let me explain. This says right here that there are certain conversations, certain things people are saying that you need to just walk away from. Whether you're a part of this church, you're a part of another church, and you're visiting here today, I want to encourage you, I want to help you. One of the best things you can do for the health of a congregation, the health of this church, or any other church that you'd be a part of, the best thing you can do for the health of your church is knowing certain people, when they try to start talking to you, you look at them and say, this is a 
foolish conversation. I will not have it with you. And then you walk away. Walk away. It's the best thing in the world. I'm giving you a gift this Christmas. The gift of freedom. You have the freedom to walk away. They hit you up in the hallway. Did you know so-and-so did blah, blah, blah? Well, my name ain't so-and-so. I got their number, though. You want to call them? If not, I'm not having this conversation with you right now. Stop it. Quit it. The only way a fire keeps raging is if you give it oxygen. Snuff the fire out. Walk away. As a pastor, there are conversations I don't have with people. Well, you're the pastor. you got to talk to people about everything. No, I don't. Nope. They're like, I need to talk to you about this. No, you don't. I'm not going to talk to you about that. Well, I think I need to. I think you don't. We're at an impasse. What we need to do, brothers and sisters, there's something, it's, it's not being, no, you got to do it graciously, you got to do it lovingly, you can't call people, hey, pastor says you're a moron. Like, that's not what I say, you're taking that out of context. But there's something to lovingly say, again, I'm not going to talk to you about this. This is inappropriate. This is wrong. I'm not the person you need to be talking to right now. You need to go to them. If you'd like for me to help facilitate that, I will. But I'm not talking to you. We need more of that. We need more of that. We need more people refusing to have conversations. I'm not talking to you about that. That also goes with social media. Right? You're never, ever, ever, I make this vow to you today. You'll never see your pastor arguing with someone online. You'll never see it for a few reasons. Number one, I have this little thing I like to call a life. Number two, I in no way think I'm going to change their mind. I'm not going to change their mind. Wait, arguing with someone? Oh, I got, I'm going to post this. It's not going to work. A, if I don't know you, why am I engaging with you like that? B, if I do know you and have an issue, I'm going to go talk to you like, you know, an adult. Listen, I mean no offense to the middle schoolers in the room, but adults, quit acting like middle schoolers online. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I I have social media for one reason, to keep up with you people. And I very frequently walk away from flipping through feeds, not super encouraged in the Lord. Not super encouraged. Bunch of stupid worldly wisdom crap. And then what does everybody else do? Like it. You go, girl. Ignore that trash. Quit doing it. Well, they see that I saw it and didn't like it. They're going to think. They're going to think that they're being foolish. Let them think that because they are. They're foolish. And the Bible commands you, commands you to avoid those things. Don't be around that. Don't feed it. Don't give it oxygen. Don't let it breathe. It'll die. Right? So a lot of stuff is solved just by you and I not having conversations. A lot of dissension stops. 
because there's no one for them to help dissent with. Just stop. Just stop. But the Bible is going to go further, not just certain controversies, certain ideas, certain conversations to avoid. It's also going to say there are certain people that we need to deal with. So look at verses 10 and 11. And, and, And I want you to notice two things in 10 and 11. I want you to notice the grace being shown to this person. And I want you to see the gravity of how this person is described. All right? So the grace shown to them and the gravity of what is said about them. All right? Grace, grace and gravity. So, verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, I want you to see the grace being shown here. Right? This isn't, you said a bad thing, you did a bad thing, you did this, you did that, or you didn't do this, or you didn't do that, so we're kicking you out. No! There is grace shown here. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Right? We show mercy and compassion on people. We give them opportunities to repent. We give them chances for them to see who Christ is and who they really are and how that's not lining up right now. And so we encourage them of how to help that line up. There's grace given. In order for us to be a biblically healthy church, we must first be a grace church. A a church that seeks to show grace and mercy and compassion and love to those who might be struggling deeply in a sin. But, can you get the rest of verse 10? After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self condemned. It says had nothing more to do with him. The implication there is removing him from the church. But I want you to see what's said about him. Again, the gravity of what is said there in verse 11. Knowing. The word knowing means to see and discern. In other words, you've, you've gathered all the information, you've watched it over and over and over again, and you've realized this is true. right? Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. He's saying this person is lost. Right? The point of removing someone from a church isn't, you did a bad thing, we're the good guys, you're the bad guys, so we're kicking you out. No. The point is, in all after trying and trying and talking and talking and praying and praying and giving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, it becomes obvious this person is just lost. Right? They're not a Christian who's stuck in sin. They're not a baby Christian who's trying to figure it out. They're not a wounded Christian who's just trying their best just to limp forward. It's not any of that. We want to absolutely have so much grace on that. We're talking about an individual who is obviously just lost. It is clear. We know now they're warped in their thinking, twisted and warped. They're sinful in all that they do. And it says they're self-condemned. It's not that we have condemned anyone. They've clearly condemned themselves. One of the reasons that we show grace to people, or two reasons that we show grace to people. One is to give them space to repent. And two, we show grace to people so that if you give them enough time, they will eventually show you who they actually are. People will show you who they are. Believe them. And eventually, 
after time and grace and opportunity and conversation and prayer and fasting. And here's what the word says. And think about these things. And let's take some time. After all of that, it becomes clear. This person is just lost. Right? They're darkened in their thinking. They have no desire and love for God. No conviction and repentance of sin. It's not someone who says, I know this is wrong, but the truth is it's just hard for me to stop. Okay, I can totally work with that. Absolutely. I get that. I understand that. Yes, let's walk together. We're talking about someone who has no conviction, no repentance, no desire. They're dark. This person has shown themselves to be self-condemned. And it says that there comes a point when someone who's a member of our church, who is just in sin, in sin, in sin, in sin, in sin, we've talked and we've talked and we've talked and we've talked and we've talked. And it came to a point where there's no way around it. This person just has to be lost. We have the biblical responsibility to remove them from our church as a member. Because the whole point of church membership is, by the best we can understand, by the grace of God, we believe this is someone who trusts by faith in Christ and is a Christian. Not perfect, got issues, working through stuff, but they're a Christian. So we welcome them into our body. This is someone who clearly shows themselves to be not a Christian, so we can't let them stay a member of the church. Right? You can't let them stay. Because if you let them stay, you're doing harm to their soul because you're basically by your silence telling them everything you're doing is fine. God's cool with it. It'll be all right. God's loving and forgiving. You'll be fine. No. No. There comes a point where we love someone enough, we have to say, look, we can't get around this anymore. I can't think of any other way around it, but you're not really actually a Christian, so we can't let you stay a member of our church. We love you. We're going to keep praying for you. I'd be happy to keep meeting with you, but we've got to remove you. And as a, a pastor, I, um, in 20 years of ministry, I've only had to do this once, come to this point of removing someone from the church. And it is agonizing. It was hands down the most painful and difficult thing I've ever, ever experienced in ministry. It was just gut-wrenching. I was depressed for a month. Probably didn't handle it great on my end. But it was just, it's just heartbreaking. Because someone that you love is clearly showing themselves to have no genuine confession and repentance of sin. And, and as we do this, as we pursue this, we're to do this with, again, grace and compassion and love and mercy. Slowly, patiently, painstakingly seeking to show someone truth. This isn't easy. This isn't quick. This isn't over a weekend. This isn't one conversation and fine, we're done. No, this is a long, slow process if we're going to err in either way we're going to err on slow not fast and i'll tell you that they in our church right now southview baptist church we have people in our congregation who are at varying levels of this with us we're in conversations with varying levels of sin known obvious not no one's perfect and we all sin not i mean obvious i'm just going to keep doing this sin and we're in conversation with them and talking with them and praying for them. You've got to see this, this. And we're in varying levels of 
some saying, okay, 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 I see what you're saying. This probably isn't good, but it's hard. Help me. We got some of that. We got some that are in the process of not quite being able to see it yet. They're kind of there. We're just trying to be patient and work with them. We have some who have just said, no, I'm just going to keep doing this. Kick me out if you want to kick me out. I don't care. We've had that here, right now, currently in our congregation. And it is so painful as a pastor to have to walk through that. But I'm encouraged with the fact that the Bible tells me to do it. So that has to mean there's a good here. There's a reason here. There's a purpose here. So we, we do it. We do it patiently and slowly and kindly and gently. Uh, to, to borrow a phrase from one of my favorite Christmas movies, a holiday classic, um, Patrick Swayze's Roadhouse. Um, not going to see that on Hallmark. But um, So if you don't, don't know the movie, so Patrick Swayze is a bouncer in a bar. And um, uh, weirdest pastor sermon illustration ever happening right now. So, so Swayze's a bouncer in a bar, and he's got these other bouncers that work with him, right? And so he's trying to explain to them how they're going to do things. He says, all right, here's what we're going to do. You're always going to be nice. Rule number one, be nice. Always be nice. If someone is rude and needs to be settled down, you're going to go tell them to settle down. But you're going to do it being nice. If someone refuses to settle down, they need to be removed, you're going to remove them. But you're going to be nice. If they won't go with you, you need someone to take with you and help you. You're both going to go and you're both going to be nice. You're always going to be nice. And then one of the guys asked, well, he says, you're going to be nice until it's time to not be nice. And one of the guys asked, well, how do we know when it's time to not be nice? And Patrick Swayze says, you're not going to know. I'm going to tell you. And the same with this. Jesus tells you, be graceful, be graceful, be graceful, be graceful, be patient, be patient. Give opportunity, give opportunity. Well, how long? How do we know when it's time to stop? You won't know. Jesus will tell you. See, if your heart is one of grace, your heart is one of compassion, your heart is one of mercy, you keep going for that and going for that and going for that until God clearly shows, usually through his word, usually through a lot of counsel with other brothers and sisters in Christ, usually through much prayer, you discern, okay, it's time. We got we to gotta cross that line. And that is hard and that is painful and that is difficult, but that does indeed, it does indeed happen. But for us, when we think about Helping brothers and sisters in Christ here at our church walk in holiness. Brothers and sisters in Christ who might be struggling with sin or, or, or shifting a little way, drifting a little way. How do we handle that? This isn't just a pastor job, right? The goal of this isn't just Brad does it. If we're a really healthy church, 90% of this is going to be handled, quite honestly, by you guys. You're going to handle it. You're going to have conversations. You're going to talk with people. And I, I don't even, I'm not even aware of most of it because we as a body are loving each other well. So how do we do that? Real quick, I want to give you some thoughts. What does this look like? How do we seek to be a restoring, redemptive church? If the goal is that we're all walking in good works, but we're honest that none of us are going to be perfect in that, and we need one another to help one another out in this, how do we do it? All right, so... How do you seek to see someone restored? If you see someone who's struggling in sin, how do you reach out to them? How do you seek to see them restored? I'll give you a few things. Number one is this. Only approach people you know. All right? Remember you told your kids, stranger danger. Same with this. Don't talk to strangers. If you don't know them, do not approach them. 
Don't try to have that conversation. Only do this with people you know, which is why being in small groups so that you can have people that you know is so important. Listen, we try hard to do a good Sunday morning for you. We try hard to do a good Sunday morning for you. But I want you to know, and I tell you this all the time, just being a part of Sunday morning can only get you so far spiritually. The next step is you have to get plugged into a smaller group of people that can love you and care for you and minister to you and and pray for you and point you to the Word. So this coming year, I have no idea what kind of tomato crop you're going to have in your backyard garden. I don't know. Right? There are a lot of factors and things that go into what that's going to look like. I have no idea if you're going to have the best you've ever had or the worst you've ever had or somewhere in the middle. No clue. What I do know is this. You won't get any tomatoes if you never put a seed in the ground. Same with this. I cannot guarantee that you're going to jump into one of our journey groups and meet your best friend for life. And you're going to wear matching sweaters and have those little half BFF necklace things. I don't know. Right? I can't guarantee. I have no idea what kind of relationships and connections you're going to have. I don't know. Maybe they're awesome. Maybe they're in the middle. Maybe it's not so great and you've got to find a different group. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is this. I can guarantee you won't have any of those relationships if you never put a seed in the ground, jump into a group, and try. I can guarantee that. The only way we grow spiritually is if we're genuinely around other people to help us grow spiritually. We've got to know each other. Uh, second, first you must spend time seeking the Lord. All right? You've got to be in prayer, in the Word. I would even encourage fasting, praying for your own heart, praying for their heart, asking God to move in that. Three, approach the person with grace. Again, the point of all this is restoration. The point of all this is someone growing in their walk with Christ, being encouraged in the Lord and ministered to. Do it with grace. Do it. How you do this matters. Again, if you've been married for longer than 10 minutes, you know it is not what you say. It is how you say it. Right? You say something. like You just said that yeah, all I said was this, but it was how you said it. Same with this. How you say a thing matters. As I'm talking to someone in these conversations, just some real practical things. I'm mindful of the volume of my voice. I'm mindful of the tone. I'm mindful in how I'm sitting in the chair. I really try to think through all of those things because I want to, as best possible, present a heart of grace. So come with grace. Um, Fourth, Come with a humble and open mind. Uh, Proverbs 18 says that a person seems right until another comes along and examines them. Right? You th- the, the point is, you don't know everything. Right? You don't know the whole story. And so you need to go with an open mind. How many times have you thought something was true and you showed up only to find out it wasn't true? If you have more than one child, you've experienced this. Right? You got one kid coming in. He yelled at me. You go to the Why did you yell at them? Because she was chasing me with a frying pan trying to kill me. Oh, she left that part out then, right? Right? The first story seems right until you examine it a little bit. Same with this. Go in assuming, 
assuming there are things about the story you do not know. There are aspects here you are not aware of. There are things going on in their life that you are not privy to. There are struggles that they're experiencing that you have no clue about. That might have been contributing factors in them doing a good thing. Maybe what they did, what they said, how they responded was wrong. They shouldn't have done that. But as you come humbly and talk with them, you at least get a little background information where you go, okay, like, that was wrong. You shouldn't have said that. But, but man, I at least understand why. You, I, I'm so sorry. Can I, can I help you? Can I pray? For, right? That makes sense? Go with a humble, open mind. There's always going to be something you don't know here. So coming, assuming that. And then fifth, realize it's God who does the work in this person's heart, not you. Don't put too much pressure on yourself, right? It's not you doing it. It's God doing it. So trust him. And, and real quick, I'd flip the coin just real quickly and say this as well. Um, what happens if someone comes to you, right? What happens if someone comes to you and says, hey, I've noticed a thing. How do you respond? What do you do? Um, I'll, I'll give you two suggestions there. Number one, avoid the temptation to find people who disagree. If someone comes to you and says, hey, I think I see this in you, don't go find other people. Like, hey, Brad came to me and said that he thinks I have an anger issue. Do you think I have an anger issue? What? That's crazy. I don't think you have that. No. You know what? I bet he's the one with the anger issue. Now that you mention it, his family does look miserable. I bet you're right. right? It, avoid the temptation to find someone who disagrees with them. Here's why. You ready for this? Here it is. 90% of the people in your life are cowards. They are cowards, and they will never tell you the truth. They will tell you what they think you want to hear so that you stay friends with them. Find the 10% who love you enough to say, yeah, I got to be honest, you can be a, be a bit of a hothead. I mean, I love you. You're my friend. None of that's going to change. But yeah, I've seen it. Find the 10%. 90%, they're not going to tell you the truth. If you have a friend who loves you enough to come and tell you the truth, don't go to the cowards and try to build an army against them. All right? Avoid that temptation. Uh, temptation number two to avoid Avoid the temptation to find fault in the person confronting you. The person confronting you is a sinner. They are a sinner. They have faults and failures. They are, a, they are absolutely just as jacked up as anyone. But just because they're not perfect doesn't mean what they're saying isn't true. Avoid the temptation to, to find fault in them. Sometimes God pours healing oil out of cracked pots. Sometimes he draws straight lines with crooked sticks. Sometimes he uses imperfect people to tell you things that you desperately need to hear. Listen to that. And I've had people come to me just as jerks, truly, just jerks, and light me up about something. And everything in me wants to be like, so do you own a mirror? Like, have you ever, I don't know, looked in one? Like, everything you're saying, you're doing right now. But I have to, by God's grace, humble myself and say, okay, I hear you. I appreciate that. Let me say that before the Lord. Spend time in his word and see what he says to me about that. 
just because they're imperfect, because they do it imperfectly, doesn't mean that we can ignore the truth that they're saying. And I will say this also just real quick, parenthetically. Just because someone comes to you and says they see this issue in you doesn't necessarily mean that it's there. Right? That's why you need to take that then before God. They're not God. So you take it to the Lord in prayer, in the Word, and see what God says to you. I've had times in my life, again, where someone has come to me and said, I think you're wrong in this. And I say, okay, well, I appreciate that. Let me set that before the Lord. I go to the Lord. I go in the Word. I spend time in the Word. I don't see God convicting me in that. I don't see God rebuking that in the Word. I don't sense any of that. And so I go back to the person and say, thank you for sharing that with me. I spent time in the Word over this. I just don't see it in my heart. So, but thank you. And if there's anything else that you see, my door is open. You can come talk to me. All right, just because they say it doesn't mean it's true. But you do need to take it, set it before the Lord, and ask God to do something there. Listen, we want to be a healthy church. We want to be healthy spiritually. We want individuals growing vibrantly in the Lord. And the only way we're going to do that is if we live this. All right? That's it. So I want to ask our, our band to come up, and while they are, I want to give you some things to think through, okay? How do we as Southview Baptist Church grow in this? How do we grow in this? Because again, Sunday morning only going to get us so far. How do we grow beyond that? We grow beyond that by having these relationships. And the only way we're going to have these relationships is if we do some introspective work in, in all of our own hearts, okay? So one is this. We must recapture the holiness of God. What I mean by that is, if you aren't stirred by the holiness of God to repent of sin in your own life, you're definitely not going to talk to anyone else about sin in their life. If there's junk that you're refusing to deal with, you're not going to seek to have anybody else deal with theirs. Part of the reason that we never see this happen in church very often is because, it is because, in our own hearts, we're, we're not walking in holiness, growing in holiness. Second, we have to recapture the love of God. In other words, if we grow in our love for God and love for people, we're going to desire to see God glorified by those people glorifying and honoring Him. And we've got to grow in the mission of God. God's mission is to see people rescued and saved and made right and made whole and restored in Him. That is His mission, so that must be ours. I want to ask you to bow your heads for me. And, and I want to pray for us and give you an opportunity. To spend some time in the Lord. Let me ask you a few questions. One. Be honest. You're a follower of Christ. However, is there sin in your heart that needs to be dealt with? Are there things in your own heart that you are not submitting to the Lord? You're not seeking to grow in. You're not confessing and repenting. Is there any sin in your own heart that you need to confess and repent? Two, do you know of a brother or sister in Christ? who themselves are walking in known sin. You're aware of it. You know it. You know it's happening. Will you love them enough to help to see them restored? 
Titus is clear. We are called by God to live out a life of good works. The only way we can do that is with one another. We need each other. We need each other. We can't do this apart from one another. So we got to join our hearts together, loving one another enough to encourage one another. Lord God, as we spend some time here meditating and praying and thinking and singing and worshiping, I pray, God, that you would stir in our hearts. Let us see sin that needs to be repented of, areas that need to be changed, what you desire to do in us. We need you. We need you. We ask you to come to our rescue. We ask you that you would empower us to let you see you rescue others. Do this work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I got to be honest, we um, were sitting there listening to Brad's message today, and I really, really feel like the Spirit of the Lord told me to change what we were going to do. So what I want to do is I want to sing the song Rescue again. And I want to do it sort of stripped down for two purposes. One, so you can have more of an opportunity to reflect who God is and what he's doing in your life and what he's done for you. And I want you to listen to the saints sing. And I want you to just enjoy this moment together as we all sort of, you know, by singing the same words, we agree, right, that these things are true. The book of Colossians chapter 1 Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Right here, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we're just going to set on that for a while. We're going to sing that song. And I encourage you to stand and sing or, or sit and reflect. Come and pray. Pray where you are. Let God have his way in our hearts today.
God, take this desire, take this heart to know you and love you and follow you and help see others do the same. Take that heart and multiply that. Let us see much fruit from it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, if you will, guys. Have a seat. Well, before I let you go, uh, a couple of quick announcements. One, if you are a guest with us, welcome. So glad again that you're here today. We can connect with you by simply you texting the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. Just text the word CONNECT, and you'll get 
plugged in with us there. But for everyone here, we've got our big three announcements we want everyone to know. Big three things to, to know about as we go through the rest of December here. So you can stay plugged in and connected. Number one, our Joy Group, which is our senior adult ministry. They're having their Christmas lunch Tuesday, December 13th at 1130. If you want to sign up for that, you can go down this hall. Down this hallway here, as you go out this door, there's a bulletin board with a sign-up sheet. Sign up on that sign-up sheet uh, so you can get signed up and ready for that lunch. Number two, uh, our men's ministry. So Every Man a Warrior is a Bible study that um, our men's ministry has been using. And starting in January, we're going to expand out and start some more groups. Every Man a Warrior is basically discipleship on steroids. It is fantastic. Uh, if you do it and do it right and do it well, it is almost a guarantee that you're going to see growth in your spiritual life. And so for all of our men, I want to encourage you. There's going to be this coming Sunday, December 11th, after the 11 o'clock service, there's going to be an interest meeting. A time for you to kind of show up and just hear a little bit about it. It's going to be in the multimedia room, what it is, what's going on, what it entails, what they're asking of you. I would encourage every man in our church to in the least be at that meeting. In the least be at that meeting. And then from there you can determine, is this what God wants? Maybe this isn't what God has for you right now. And, and, and that's going to be true for some of us. But I want to encourage you at least to be in the room so you can hear it and discern from there rightly, is this something God is leading me to do? So that's next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service in the multimedia room. We're just going to have a few minutes so you can still you know, grab lunch with your family. You don't have to worry about anything like that. But I encourage all of our men to be there next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service. Uh, third, missions. I mentioned Lottie Moon earlier. We're talking about giving, now going. We're going to have a trip to Hungary May 26th through June 6th. Uh, we're to give you a chance to go over to Hungary and minister to people in Jesus' name. There's going to be interest meeting for that on January 8th. The application for the trip is in the church office. But again, I would encourage everyone who can... At least go to the interest meeting just to hear about it. And then from there you can discern, is this what God would want me to do? But I encourage you to be a part of that January 8th. Don't forget that. And then one more, one to grow on, equip classes. Starting in January, we're cranking up our new round of equip classes. Equip classes are our um, uh, short-term groups that seek to teach you kind of the big rocks of the Christian faith. And so we have quite a few great ones coming up here in January. We're going to be doing um, uh, Journey into God's Word, learning how to read and study your Bible. We're going to do how to experience new life in Christ. If you've ever thought, you know, people seem to be really excited about being a Christian, and I'm not sure why, this class is going to help you see why. How to experience full life in Christ, created to be His helpmeet. This is a, a, a class just for ladies uh, about biblical marriage and what it means to be a wife. And then also we're doing Instructing a Child's Heart. This is a marriage class, and so we encourage you to come be a part of that. Parents, you can do that as well. Sign up for any of those by texting the word EQUIP to our number, 910-424-1298. Text the word EQUIP to sign up for that. And then also in January, our membership class is going to start. January 15th, um, 
22nd and 29th during the 9.30 service. You can text MEMBER to sign up for that. For anything else, download the app. You can give online or in the giving boxes as you leave, whatever works best for you. All right. That's it. I'm going to pray for you and let you go. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your life, your love, and what you do in us. I pray, God, that you bind our hearts together as a church to love one another as we seek to live lives that bring you glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. See you next Sunday.